This is the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, presented by eCity Interactive. eCity creates websites, marketing campaigns, and magic for higher ed institutions, large and small. Every digital challenge has a solution. eCity's talented team of problem solvers will help you find yours. And now, here's your host, Stephen App. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. I am your host, Stephen App. I'm really jazzed about today's show, and that's because we have the amazing Amanda Costello on the show. She is the lead content strategist and editor at the University of Minnesota College of Education and Human Development. She is an amazing speaker. If you have the joy of had seeing her uh, speak at a conference, she's a fantastic Twitter follow, which I'm sure we'll get into in this episode. And I'm just all around really pumped to have her on. So Amanda Costello, thank you so much for joining the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Of course, we're going to talk about a topic that is important to you, of course, in your role and important to me and something that should be important to everybody in higher education marketing. And that is content strategy. And, you know, I don't know about you because you're, you're into this on a daily basis, but for me, Sometimes I think content strategy almost has a mystique to it a little bit. It's confused for content marketing or sometimes even UX. So, uh, you know, how do you define content strategy? And I imagine like to your peers, but then how do you describe it even to like your friends and family who are even less ingrained in this in this industry? Yeah. So one of the things that I worked on doing was I developed like a, an elevator speech. If I run into one of our members of our college leadership or university leadership and they say, oh, what do you do? That I can tell them without it just being, I work on the internet. I work on our websites. <laughs> uh, so I started telling people, I think about who needs to use our websites and I make sure they can't. Well, then I was talking with someone else and they said, actually, that's more like UX. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I think about who needs to use our website and make sure they can understand it. Uh, So it's kind of it's still in flux a little bit. But then that was a good reminder for me, too, because part of what I do is UX because I am in higher ed. We don't have someone who just does content strategy. If you ever look at one of those big maps of uh, here's the content strategist, here's the user experience expert, here's the designer, here's the interface designer, here's the information architect. Like we just don't have that many people for every single person to have their own unique thing that they do and then hand it off. Like I have to wear five or six different hats or this stuff just won't get done at all. So I've also, I, I usually, when I tell people what I do and sometimes people I work with, but also people that I don't work with or my parents or family, uh, I will just quote, Karen McGrain and say, on a good day, I make the web better. On a bad day, I make it suck less. <laughs> and I imagine we have a fair amount of good and bad days. Oh, yeah. We just try and make, if even if it's a bad day, and you just make it a little, make the web a little less bad because everybody, everybody's been on a bad website. So telling people that you're working to make, especially if people have been on bad university websites, telling people that you're they're working on it, trying to make that better, it's instantly relatable. And it really helps paint my job the way I see it, which is as a service job. I really see my job as as being in service, both to the people I work with and to the university and its mission. I think it's so interesting what you said, everyone's been on a bad website. And that's really true. Um, 
I mean, why why does that matter? And I, I guess I'm thinking about higher education in particular, and and we could talk about prospective students or mm-hmm. current students or alumni. I mean, higher ed serves so many different audiences. But why does that necessarily matter? Why does content strategy matter or the experience matter online for these schools? When it comes to prospective students, uh, it will it is often their first impression of you and the care that you take of your own stuff. It's like saying, um, you know, if you wanted to know, someone might clean up their living room if they're having guests over, but if you wanted to know what they're like, you should take a look in like their bedroom or the spare room or something like that, or stop by when no one's coming over. That's what some of our deeper websites can look like. It's okay, so we gussied up the prospective students page a lot, but what about how actual students have to interact with stuff. And do you keep doing it there? Or once I'm a student here, am I just gonna get shoved aside for you to recruit more students? But it's also a lot of the goals that we have at the university don't involve someone reading a website. Like that sitting and reading a thing is not our final call to action. We are we are not a magazine or we're not a newspaper. We have classes and we have degrees and we have, you know, students who are experiencing a whole bunch of stuff outside of our websites. So what we want someone to do is call or enroll or visit or look on extension to find out why is my yard covered in Creeping Charlie, which is something I Google every spring. Um, But we we have all this other stuff that we really want people to engage with. And it's not just the website. Yeah, I think it's, and you just said prospective students, you know, we, we freshen those pages, we make them look good, and then we ignore current students. And I, and I know that's just an example mm-hmm. that you're, you're describing, but it brings up a really interesting point about content strategy. And I'd be curious to get your perspective on this. Do you prefer to break down content strategy in terms of an audience and say, this is how we're going to address prospective students. This is how we're going to make the web suck less for current students? Mm -hmm. Or do you try to just have this overall encompassing strategy and, and then have these different audiences play a role in that? We try to, um, we work with our leadership to figure out what their big goals are independent of the website. And then that helps us inform web strategy. And then what we do is we say, we'll bring audiences into it, but we say we look at stuff through lenses. So right now we're trying to look through our website through the lens of recruitment and retention, getting students and keeping them here so they graduate. So with that lens, uh, you can take any piece of content and look at it differently through that lens. If you look at a piece of information of like, here's a new research study, we finished a big longitudinal study and here are the results and it's really excellent. The lens of recruitment or attention would then have calls to action and follow-up information of have this professor be your PhD advisor, um, get a degree with us, listen to a lecture, come to an information session. If we had, say, different college priorities and a different lens, say we had a lens uh, about increasing external research funding. Then there would be more information that maybe goes to that professor's CV, what uh, labs she's active in, current journal publications. Say again, we switch the lens to um, donations and fundraising. Then the call to action at the bottom of that news story might be something like, your donation helps support this research or funding scholarships to help more students access um, this, the, the new things we've developed. 
So it's the same content, but different lenses about what then happens because of that content. We really try to look at what what needs, what do the users need to do with this content? Like, why did they come here? What questions do they have? But also, what does the institution and what does our leadership want of this? Because they're often not the same thing, but that doesn't mean that one is good and one is bad. You can do more than one thing. You just can't do everything. Yeah, I think that's so interesting, starting offline, Mm -hmm. right? So content strategy, it's about website, who's coming, you know, making it a good experience. But that starts offline. How do you, how do you break down your content strategy? How do you break it down into uh, phases? How do you approach it? I think one of the big things that I do is I really try to involve a lot of people as colleagues. I don't want them to think about the website last, and I don't want them to think that the web isn't something that they do because I do not have a PhD and I can't write their content for them, nor do I like doing that. So I don't want them to do a whole bunch of work and at the very end come and say, okay, now here's all this stuff, put it on the web. And I say, ah, this isn't how we do the web and this, who's your users and why? And then it's this big holdup and there's a deadline. So I try to meet with people early on and have a conversation with them, not as their web person, but as someone who really cares about knowing why they do their work. Um, And that is professors, that is graduate students, that is directors and coordinators throughout the college of just saying, hi, what's going on? Like doing it as almost an interview or a counseling session. What's frustrating you right now? What are you really excited about? What do you wish could go better? What went great? And then using that as a jumping off point so that people don't just think of me and my my coworkers as the web people, even though that's the medium that we work on, we're people that care about their content. We're people that work with them. We collaborate on stuff. Also, I just as I do not have a PhD and do not write research and no one is expecting me to, I don't expect my faculty members to have to do the website. That's They have other things to do with their time and they have other things that are much more pressing. This is a way to kind of come back to that service job that I can help that information get to people. I can help the knowledge that we are researching and building on and creating in some cases get to other people. Um, One of the things that I've said is I really, the reason I like working in higher ed is I believe in what we're selling. I believe in the research we do. I believe in the knowledge that we create. I believe in teaching and learning and I believe in giving it away. Amanda, when you mentioned interviews or approaching your colleagues, involving everyone as a colleague. I think it's a nice segue into kind of pulling back the cover on what a content strategist really does on a daily basis. So can you talk to me a little bit more about what your daily activities are? I mean, how proactive are you being in terms of reaching out to to key stakeholders or colleagues? Uh, You know, I imagine that in that, you know, in that way, a lot of your daily work isn't actually done on the web. Yeah, a lot of, well, it's weird. The last, it's a year and a half, uh, my unit has been a little bit in flux because we are kind of half communications and half IT. And this is something that usually folks who aren't in higher ed will be, hmm, but I'm part of, I'm a communications job in an IT job family. So we are under the umbrella of, our college's IT. But most strategy units are being moved to 
are, are in like a Marcom situation. And our unit is being moved to Marcom, but we're retaining some of our IT classifications. So it's kind of all over the place, partly because our team really believes that the web is both, it's IT and comms, and having both of those roles and viewpoints represented on the web and on the team and decisions is really, really important so that one doesn't get lost if the other's not there. Um, so a lot of my day-to-day involves meetings with my team, like my coworkers, as well as the, um, we have a also unique model, what we call a distributed content strategy model. In our college, we have seven academic departments. Each one of those departments has their own content strategist who is in the unit and is employed by that unit and is a member of that school or department. Um, and that's really unique in higher ed. Then our team is the central unit. We also have people handling this kind of information on the graduate study side, on the undergraduate undergraduate studies and student services side, and for our research centers. Those people don't report to me. So sometimes folks will say, oh, talk to your content strategist. I'm like, oh, they are not mine. They are their own people. <laughs> um, so part of it is working with my direct team but also with this kind of distributed model based on where they are in their projects and what they need help on. So we do um, agile style standups um, and just let each other know where we are on projects, what, you know, what we've done in the past, what we're doing now, where we're blocked. Um, and there's a lot of collaborative work on our smaller team to figure out not what is the college's story and then kind of pushing it down to make the departments conform, but understanding that the differences in the department are what make our college unique. So we try to figure out a strategy that supports all of those differences and helps with the qualities. I keep hearing you say that it's unique in higher education and certainly listening to you, I, <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, has the University of Minnesota in your mind invested more in content strategy than other institutions? And and if so, I mean, why do you think that is? I think I know that the university is investing, it's investing in resources, be they time or money in good web presence. And we have a really, really large um, and fantastic usability services component that works at the usability level. Um, I've worked with them uh, to make what we have is, it's called a content strategy self-help guide, where if you don't have a strategist, but you know this is best practice and you wanna do this, um, what can you do? Uh, We have this wonderful usability lab that's in the basement of one of our research libraries, and it's totally this mission impossible, one-way mirror, you're watching people, it's really fantastic where you go in there about once or twice a year to test different things. So I think it's one of the things I've talked about before about working in higher ed is I think that the two big motivators in higher ed are resource scarcity and jealousy. And one of the things that we do then is we talk about what we have and that motivates other people to have it too, weirdly. A colleague of mine worked at um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, which is probably one of Minnesota's biggest competitors in sports and admissions and all these different things. And, um, but it's, but we have a ton of common with them. And when she was able to say to her coworkers, hey, Minnesota started doing this. And then people are like, oh, well, if Minnesota's doing it, we can probably look at that. 
so the uh, yeah, so we we try to say, you know, you can make change. You can make change extremely small, and then the results are worth it. And other people will say, I want that, and you'll say, Cool, here's how you do it, and here's how we do it together. Gosh, it's a wildly accurate statement to say resource constrained and jealous. Those are the two traits above really all. Are. Someone once saw, heard me talk about it and said, that's really cynical. And I said, don't you work in higher ed? Like it, it feels a little cynical, <laughs> but it also is this, is this understanding that I feel like that it by and large comes from a good place. People are like, if we had a hundred thousand dollars, we could do this. And then someone says, all I have for you is $20,000. Like, oh, well, then you scale it down. Like the, I know the research, since I'm in education and human development, the research that comes out of our college blows me away every day. The stuff that people are understanding and that the content that I get to talk about on our website and represent and help people create is helping people live better lives. It's helping teachers understand students who are who are speaking their third or fourth language it helps make sure that students are all set up for success it helps people understand their family relationships and understand how we're healthy or unhealthy in our families uh, we we have a whole bunch of just groundbreaking research about very early understanding of autism for early interventions and understanding of like like within markers within infants of, of kids under six months old uh, to be able to understand and support those kids from as early as possible. So like the stuff that we do here just blows my mind and that I get to represent it and talk about it is amazing. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the, I think you said, I believe in what we're selling and listening to you talk about the, the items you just did. That's not hard to believe. I'm curious about the other side, though, Amanda, too. How did you gravitate towards this con- you know, content strategy <laughs> yeah. as a career path for yourself? Was it purposeful, no, accidental? it was super accidental. Um, after I graduated, I graduated with uh, uh, an English degree, and I love having my English degree. And I then went off to Japan for two years. I taught English, then was kind of like, ah, I don't know what I want to do next. And that was very hard for me because my whole life I had known exactly what I was going to do next. So I came back to the States and I went to the University of Minnesota. So getting a job here, it was the system I knew I could work within it. I was comfortable and I just needed ad job. I just needed income and I knew I could do desk work really easily. So I got a job when I'm being in this college um, in one of our research centers. And at the time, I thought I wanted to go to graduate school. I really had a great time when I worked in Japan helping my students in Japan get ready to study abroad and encouraging them to go to abroad, not even necessarily to the U.S., but having experiences abroad, I feel is very, very important for people to, to understand other human beings. So I thought, okay, well, if I want to do that kind of work, that's usually going to require some kind of master's degree. So I applied for some master's degree programs, um, got into one, took the GRE, it was terrible, got into a program, and then I got my acceptance that spring. And also that spring, I went to a local web conference called Mini WebCon, and they had a keynote speaker who had just published her first book a few months earlier, and it was Christina Halverson. And she talked about content strategy, and my mind exploded. Just... <laughs> This is someone who finally put a name to the thing that I'd always wanted to do and to values that I'd always held but couldn't articulate. Um, so I called grad school and I said, I'm not coming. And I didn't go to grad school. And 
I really started to tell my boss, I think this is what my job is. And he said, let's find out. Let's, let's do it. Let's make it this thing. And then about five years ago, I, uh, there was an opening on the college's web team and I joined and it's fantastic. And now I do this at a larger scale. I've heard Christina speak and, and I've read the book that, that you're referencing, I believe here. Do you remember what it was about her speech that really called to you in particular? I think I mentioned earlier that I see my job as a service job and it was that it was that we can take our web content and it can be a service to people. It is something that we do for them. Like it's a way, the same kind of thing of, of how I looked at teaching as a career, how I looked at um, maybe going into advising and helping students. Um, I had a student job in a, a different college and student services, but the idea of being able to help people, um, and help them find what they're looking for has always been really big for me. So the that that I was that connected to content that could do that thing again, that I had a new definition of my job on the web as being able to be a service job, really, really spoke to me. Hey everyone, the hashtag higher ed podcast is part of Connect EDU, a podcast network bringing together brilliant minds in the higher ed space and breaking down silos. You can check it out at connectedu.network where you can find great shows no matter where you work on campus, as well as resources for first-time and long-time podcasters. You can also follow along on Twitter at connectedupod and hashtag connectedu. You mentioned something earlier, Amanda, which was that people think they can't they can't do content strategy. It's too big of an investment. It's too large a project. And I think that that is something that is a common myth about content strategy. And I want to talk a little bit about the myths and misconceptions of of content strategy. Is that one of the top myths that that you do face? Is that it's it's almost a project? It's a one-time large investment? And then then you just kind of check it off as done? Yeah, and I think that's also related to just the web overall is that people think, okay, let's launch the website. Now it's done, Uh, especially in higher ed, because you're coming from a mindset involved in publishing. When you publish a book, it's done. It's a thing that's finished and you can touch it and you can put it on a shelf. And that is just not the web. I think that's been the biggest thing that we've been kind of trying to change is for people to see the web as iterative, that if you try to do it all, it's not even, it's not, it's not a sprint. It's not a marathon. It's not even a race. It's something that is just a completely different metaphor. People will often say, oh, my boss really wants to know when the website's going to be done. And like the website is done in the same way that the, the dishes are done. Like they're not really done. You know, um, you're going to have to, you're probably going to eat on that plate again or cook in that pan again. Um, and that's our website is it's, it's always in progress. It's something that's always moving. We tell people we make changes to our website every day and it's not just writing news blogs, but we tweak things, we add things. So as we've gotten people used to iterative improvements and iterative change, they become more comfortable with taking on something and knowing that it's a small piece. It's not this huge project that has a beginning, middle and end. And at the end of it, you have a book that you put on the shelf. So yeah, just letting them know that this is it's something that's ongoing in the background. It's part of our culture. It's part of our best practices. You do it all the time. It's not just a start and stop thing. Yeah. And I feel like to say that makes a lot of sense. I imagine, especially for some of your colleagues, like you said, 
who are maybe coming from a publishing background or, or, or draft reports or books and research projects, it's a lot harder to actually get that to sink in. Is there any one thing that you have found has helped, has helped someone say, oh, I, I get it now? Um, I think the thing that helps the most is not so much something I say to them, but listening to them and having someone sit down and say, tell me why that is. Um, there's like, well, when is this going to be done? And I said, I don't view websites as being done. Tell me what done means to you. Tell me they were popular. Tell me more about that. <laughs> um, or having someone who's very, very uh, resistant to working on something or wants something in a certain way, just backing up and asking about why. Uh, one of the best professional development things I think that I've done in the long term for my career is I took an intro to counseling methods class. And I have drawn on that, I'd say, every day at work, every single day um, of how to there's there's a method. It's um, Gerard Egan, the skilled helper model is something that I use in my work every single day. And it's helping people. How do you get what what is the problem? How do you feel about the problem? What do you think is going to happen next? How can we make a plan? What would look like if this happened, if it didn't happen? So much of good content strategy has to deal with those core ways of relating to and helping other people. I'm curious, you know, what do you think is, is one thing, whether it's a misconception or a real genuine concern that keeps more higher education institutions from really investing or practicing or just getting more involved in content strategy and, and making a better web? Um, I think that part of it is the conflation in the content ecosystem of content strategy and content marketing, which are different. I also think that many people in higher ed will often ask for marketing and they don't want marketing. They don't want to know what the market wants. They want advertising, which are different. So part of the problem is that it's very, very hard for I'd say anybody, not just higher ed, but higher ed to really articulate what it is they want. I also think that people see conversations about content strategy and they feel that it has to be applied everywhere at once at the same time at the same scale. And it doesn't. It's just too big. No big change ever happens like that. And it never has. So I think more more people in higher ed realizing that you can apply content strategy like, oh, well, maybe in your college. Like, no, like a project. Uh, one department buying in, one faculty member buying in. This is how we're going to do it. It's We have to play the long game on this. And higher ed has been around for so long that actually playing the long game and moving slow is pretty much in our wheelhouse. So um, you can both play the long game and make a long investment. Also, if you move quick, everybody else is moving a little slow. So maybe you'll get something good done before anybody notices. Hey everyone, a quick shout out to the agency that makes this show possible, eCity Interactive. You know, I really do love coming to work every day at eCity, and that's not just because everyone shares my love of donuts, uh, but that's really because I get to collaborate with a talented team working on everything from user experience to content and digital marketing to web design and development and a whole lot more. Our work has earned us an incredible roster of education clients, including the University of Pennsylvania, George Washington University, Petty School, Cornell, Drexel, Rutgers, and many others. 
So if you're looking to improve your web and digital presence and better communicate your school's story, visit us online at ecityinteractive.com and get in touch. Well, Amanda, it has been my pleasure to to have you on this show. Like I said at the top of the show, I've, I've heard you speak before and, and was just really thrilled that, that you agreed to come on the show. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a blast. And of course, before we let you go, we, we do have two more requests. Uh, first of all, for everyone who is listening to the show and, and wants to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, the best place to find me online is my Twitter account. It's at Amanda Esk, A-M-A-N-D-A. E-S-Q-U-E. It's sometimes about content strategy. It's a lot about my cats. It's a lot about just weird things on Twitter. Um, Sometimes you will catch me live tweeting sports events. Uh, I have a great and well-documented dislike for Joe Buck, and I feel like he curses every team that I like and has for years. So that's a recent thing that's been on Twitter uh, with the end of the Viking season. Yeah, and I can vouch for your Twitter account. I think some of your best tweets are actually not related to content strategy at all. (laughs) Of course, every episode on this show, we ask our guests to give a social shout out to a colleague or individual uh, that deserves a little bit more recognition of the work that they're doing. And uh, always a tough ask, but uh, really curious to, to hear who you've got. Yeah, I'm going to give two shout outs uh, for people that are doing fantastic things. Uh, One of them is um, Nick Rosencrantz, who is a fellow content strategy usability awesome person here on the University of Minnesota campus. Nick and the whole team that he works with are just aggressively optimistic, helpful human beings and being able to work with them to help kind of the whole university move in a good direction is an honor. Um, his He's on Twitter, Nick Rosencrantz, N-I-C-K-R-O-S-E-N-C-R-A-N-S, Nick Rosencrantz. Um, the other person that I'm giving a shout out to is my pal, Corey Vilhauer, who does content strategy in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And he just recently relaunched his blog. He's doing more writing. He's doing more thinking about the web and about music and about mixtapes and about memory. And it's just fantastic. And I'm so, so excited to read more of his stuff because he's a wonderful writer. Awesome. I love, I will be checking out that new revamped blog. And also I feel like aggressively optimistic is a phrase we need to use more in our lives. Okay. You need to meet Nick in person because he is exactly who he is. Like you meet Nick and you're like, can, can, can one person be this fantastically positive and passionate and just upbeat, like hanging out with Nick always puts me in a better mood. He's fantastic. And he's just an invaluable friend and ally to have on campus to keep fighting the good fight to make this happen. I love it. Well, this episode has put me in a better mood. So thank you once again, uh, Amanda Costello. And we'll be chatting with you again soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much. 